0: God, it's great to sing the great hymns of the faith. Lord, uh, I know these hymns are dear to these folks, and Lord, they're dear to my heart too as I grew up on them. Lord, there's great theology in those hymns, and Lord, how we love them. It just builds our faith. Lord, thank you so much for just the pleasure that we get from singing them, singing out to you and singing the truths of your word. And Lord, thank you for the gathering of your people again tonight. And Lord, as we open your word, and Lord, as we talk about, Lord, what we need to talk about, what you want us to hear, that you would open our understanding. Father, by your spirit, teach us and lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, I pray that there would, there would be some aha moments tonight. Father, you would help us to connect the dots of what's going on in our life with the truth that we hear tonight. And Lord, that we would... See how we can plug it into our everyday experience. That, Lord, truly we might enjoy the wonderful peace of God that passes all understanding. Just thank you, Lord, for each person here tonight Speak into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you tonight, don't have to, I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but think about if somebody were to ask you, what's your biggest mountain? What's your biggest problem? What's the biggest obstacle, the biggest thing in your life? How would you answer that question? Well, some might say, well, I have great financial need and I do not have the ability to meet that need in and of myself. It's like when Jesus told the disciples, he said, "Um, we need to feed this multitude of people. And Philip said, Lord, if we were to work from now on, we couldn't raise enough money to feed this many people. What Jesus was saying was, here's the need, and Philip was saying, but we don't have the resources to meet it. But the scripture says, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And see, Jesus, Philip didn't know what Jesus was going to do. Just like you and I, we don't know what Jesus is up to. We don't know what he's going to do. It's like Bobby spoke of this morning. He's weaving that tapestry. We just get to look at it from the backside. We don't see the beautiful picture that, that God is at, doing at work. Some would say, well, my biggest mountain, my biggest problem is my health. It's beginning to deteriorate, or it's, it's already deteriorated, and, and that's the biggest mountain in my life, and I don't know how I'm going to get beyond this to overcome it. And uh, It's like the woman who had the issue of blood. And she had suffered like that for many, many years. And she said, if I could just get to touch the hem of his garment, I know that I would be made whole. And of course she did. She touched the hem of his garment and was cured. For some of you, you would say the biggest mountain in my life is there's some crisis, some family crisis or some personal crisis that you're going through right now. Maybe it's in your family, maybe it's on the job, maybe it's something else, but there's some problem that you're facing that uh, you just... Don't have an answer for. Well, I want to suggest to you that those, neither of those things, none of those things are your biggest mountain. But I know that that's how we feel. Because that's how I feel. When I face a problem that's insurmountable. And I see the great need. And I see that my my resources, my strength, whatever it is, is very limited. And cannot meet that need then to me that becomes my biggest problem. And it can consume me. It can consume my thoughts. It can consume my emotions. And it can consume even my spirit towards God. And that's just not healthy. So I want to suggest to you, as I am learning, and let me just remind you, I am not preaching from perfection. I'm not preaching from arrival. I'm preaching from, I'm in the middle of the road with you. Um, But I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Jesus said these words in verse 22 and 23. He said, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, what's your mountain? He says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And I want to suggest to you tonight that your biggest mountain and my biggest mountain is right there in that passage of Scripture. The mountain that needs to be removed from your life and mine is the mountain of doubt. The lack of faith. Now, I want to suggest also that we're not talking about... Now, Jesus says here that whatever you ask for, if you believe, then you'll have it. And I want you to understand that we're going to look at another man's life, and we're going to see that things didn't work out so good. The greatest preacher in the world had doubt, and things didn't work out so good for him. So I'm not suggesting, and I don't think Jesus is saying here that if if you have this big problem and you just believe that it can be removed and it will be removed you say well isn't that what he says i want to i want to encourage you to look at who's saying it because the who is more important than the what although the what is equally important or very very important but the doubt is my biggest problem you know when in mark chapter 9 if you turn back a couple of chapters this father brings this demon-possessed boy to Jesus and um, he, he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything. Jesus said, kind of turned the tables, he said, well, if you can believe. The man said, if you can do anything, Jesus said, well, if you can believe, then Anything is possible if you believe. And there was the man's mountain. He thought the man's, the man thought his mountain was my demon possessed son, but he was confronted with what his real mountain was. What his real problem was was faith, was doubt, and he had a lack of faith. And so the man said, Lord, help my unbelief. Man, that's how I need to pray. That's how you and I need to pray help my unbelief. And so. I want to share with you tonight just uh, about that, of how we can conquer and overcome this greatest mountain in our life, this mountain of doubt, because doubt will manifest itself in many ways. And let me just name a few by personal experience. Fear. That's one of the ways doubt manifests itself. When you doubt in the promises of God or what God has said and you have this big mountain in front of you and and you don't see any way around it or over it or under it or whatever, uh, it manifests itself in fear. You get very afraid of what could happen, what's going to happen, and and your mind just runs wild with you about all the worst-case scenarios that could go wrong in your life. Doubt can produce fear. Doubt can produce pity. Self-pity and pity parties and discouragement and depression. Because when you see this big mountain and you've asked God over and over again for it to be removed and and it's still there and it looms larger seemingly every day and you begin to wonder and question, God, what is going on? Why is this mountain seeming to grow instead of being removed? And you you get discouraged. You get full of pity and even depression can set in. Another way doubt can manifest itself is just an anger, an inward seething. And although you would never outwardly express it, especially towards God, but you just kind of have this bitterness, this resentment in your heart because you start looking at other people and you see, wow, they have it all together. Now, first of all, you're looking at the outward, right? You're judging from what you can see. You don't know what's going on in their life. They may be looking at you and saying the same thing not knowing what's going on in your life. But you have this inward resentment and you start looking at other people and and they don't seem to have any problems and they have it all together and you start saying, well, what's wrong with me? How come their life is so much better than my life? And and, uh, how come they don't seem to have the problems I'm having? And uh, you can even turn that bitterness and resentment towards God and begin to question God's care and concern and love for you and it begins to affect your relationships around you and so doubt is a very big mountain and if we don't deal with the doubt in our hearts doesn't matter if that mountain is removed or not removed God's going to leave it there until we get to the point of faith and we're going to look at that tonight and uh, God many times is going to bring us have you ever seen well occasionally you will You know, we went out to Oregon, and the strangest sight there in Portland, Oregon, to me, is the Flatland and Mount Hood. Anybody ever seen Mount Hood? I mean, it's like, it's it's not in a mountain range. It's just a mountain, right? And then it's pretty much right. Just like, there it is. You look all around. You don't see any other mountains. You see Mount Hood. But typically, that's rare. Typically, you see mountains in a range, don't you? A bunch of mountains together. Well, that's how our life is, isn't it? We conquer one mountain, and then God grows another one in front of us. And that's kind of the cycle of life. I don't like that cycle. I wish I could get off of that roller coaster, if you would. And the only way off, you know how the only way off is? Death. And it's being transported from this life into heaven. Because this wasn't supposed to be heaven. And sometimes I forget that. You know, and there was a quote I wanted to bring. It was by John Piper. And uh, actually, I think I saved it. So I'm going to look for it. If y'all will just bear with me just a second. Um, I wanted y'all to hear this. And when I read it, I thought, man, that's uh, very convicting to me. He said, I don't want a comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval... I don't want to be a comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval-hungry Christian. And I read those four things. Comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted security craving approval hungry christian must be nobody else raised their hand and i thought man that hits me where i live i wonder if that hits you and i think if we're honest probably does And whenever those mountains come in my life, it flies in the face of my comfort and all that other stuff, security, and I don't like that. So, who's the most greatest preacher in the world? Well, the reason I say that is because Jesus said this about this man. I say to you, among those born of women, there's not risen one greater than who? John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist uh, was a great, he was indeed a great man. I want to let, I want you to, I want to share with you a few of the things that he said about Jesus. He gave honor to Christ. He knew who Jesus was. Said in Luke chapter three, uh, the people were trying to figure out who John was. And John said, you know, there's one coming who's mightier than me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven which said, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit had already revealed to John that when John sees that happening, he's going to know then who the Messiah is. Now, he was, of course, first cousins with Jesus, and we come to John chapter 1, and Again, John was bearing witness to Jesus and says this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He said, I am not the Christ. They said, well, who are you? Elijah, are you the prophet? He said, no. Then they said, well, who are you? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And then they ask him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John says, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me, who is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Then John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in John chapter 3, again, John's bearing witness to Jesus. And he says, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I've been sent before him. And he says in verse 30, he, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And then he says, for he whom God has sent speaks his words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. So this is John the Baptist preaching about Jesus. Jesus said he was the greatest preacher in all the world. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher. It doesn't matter if you're a great Christian and that you've been a Christian all your life. There's going to come a point in time in your life that the mountain is going to be so deep, so tall, and the valley is going to be so deep that you're going to face periods of doubt in your life. And you're going to wonder about God. Did that happen for John the Baptist? It most certainly did. John was faithful to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. He stood up and he confronted sin, and he called people to repentance, and he rebuked sinners. And that's what landed him in prison. And turn to Matthew chapter 11. We read these words. Matthew 11, verse 1. It came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Matthew 11:2. And when John had heard in prison. So John's in prison. He had heard in prison about the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, didn't I just read for you in Luke chapter 1 and 2 and in John chapter 1 and 3 that John was absolutely, positively, thoroughly convinced that Jesus was the one? Didn't I just read that? And now he's in prison. He's hit the rock bottom point of his life. And he's beginning to doubt that Jesus is who he said he was. The greatest preacher in the world. Man, that ought to minister to you. Because if it happened to John the Baptist, do you think it's going to happen to you? Sure it can. He began to doubt because he hit a mountain that he couldn't climb and there's coming a time in your life if you're not already there or have already been there that that may happen to you and jesus answered and said go and tell john the things which you hear and see and in verse five jesus is quoting the prophet isaiah the blind see the lame walk the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus was saying to John, John, I just look at what the how I am fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture and look at the good things that I am doing. And Jesus said, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So, the most spiritual preacher greatest preacher in all the world, began to doubt God because he was at a low point in his life. But Jesus said how, he said if, if you speak to this mountain, if you have faith, now another gospel says if you have the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, it will be done for you. Faith is a grain of a mustard seed. Sometimes I'm not even sure I got that much. I honestly can't say I've ever seen a mustard seed. They say it's a really small, small seed. Jesus is saying, if you got that much faith. You see, that's where the real battle is for me and for you is faith. Now listen, this really hit home with me two years ago when my sister died because I had faith in a desired outcome. But is that really faith? What if, that, what if it doesn't work out the way I hoped and prayed that it would? What does that do to my faith? Where should my faith be? It should be in God. It should be like Job. Job said, Lord, though you slay me, I will trust in you. Though, Lord, you don't give me what I'm asking for. And, Lord, even if you don't give me any explanations of what's going on, you've got to understand, Job didn't, he wasn't privy to what we're privy to. And he didn't know about this conversation between God and Satan. Even if it doesn't work out, Lord, then I'm still going to trust you. So how can we, how can we cast our mountain of doubt into the sea if the doubt is our greatest mountain that's what we need to speak to you see that need that problem in your life yes that's a mountain but compared to your doubt and fear and everything else that how it manifests is really that need is just the molehill and God is really wanting to deal with the mountain of doubt in your heart and my heart so how do we cast that doubt into the sea how do we speak to it and that's why I'm going to ask you to turn to the most familiar passage about this that you can. And when I ask you to turn here, you're going to go, oh, we're going there. James chapter 1. And I want to show you from this passage how how to cast your mountain of doubt into the sea. And listen, I'm not preaching from having been there. Not even sure I've done this yet. I'm preaching really to me, for me, but us because this is what I need to do this is what we need to do so James says verse 2 don't you love this verse my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials boy that reads easy doesn't it how does it live hard and he goes on to say knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let me just share with you four quick ways how you can cast your mountain of doubt into the sea. First of all, count it all joy. Count it, count it reckon it consider it call it whatever you want to say count it joy he's saying consider it joy that's hard to do to have a joyful attitude here's what one person said about this make a choice to rejoice what did miss tana say on that trip choose joy on the 412 trip she would That was her phrase. She would tell the girls and the kids over and over, choose joy, choose joy. And you know, you can choose joy. Do you know joy is a choice? You can't help the happenings around you. Circumstances happen, good and bad, all around us. It's called life on this earth. And if we base our emotions on what's happening, we will be unhappy or happy. But you can choose joy. That's why he says, count it joy. That's a choice. It's not an emotion. It is an act of the will. Do you know you can choose joy? Even when you don't feel happy? It's an act of the will. You exercise your will to rejoice. Paul said it. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord when things are good. (laughs) Always. And again, I say rejoice. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul learned this lesson. How did Paul learn this? Well, he had been stoned. He had been shipwrecked. he He had been beaten. He had been all kinds of things bad that happened to him he now has this thorn in the flesh and he had begged the lord to to remove it god take this mountain from me take this thorn from me and and god said my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect in weakness and so paul learned to more uh he said therefore most gladly i rather boast in my infirmities in verse 10 i take pleasure in infirmities That's sickness, reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. So Paul had to learn how to choose joy in the midst of that. We see him and Silas there in a Philippian jail bound hand and foot after having been beaten. And what are they doing? They're praying and singing. And what a great testimony that was. You see, the world expects people like you and me or anybody that when bad things happen to moan and groan and whine and complain. That's natural, isn't it? Boy, that comes so easy to me. I'm good at that. I got that down. I don't need any teaching to have that down. I learned that when I was a little baby. When I got hungry, I screamed and cried and pitched a fit and they stuck a bottle in my mouth. And I just kept that routine up and I'm still doing it. You thought you outgrew it. You hadn't outgrown it yet either, have you? You're still waiting for God to stick that nipple in your mouth because you're whining and griping and complaining about that need that hadn't been met. We're just spiritual babies. I want you to look at verse of James chapter 1. He says that you may be mature. The, The word in the New King James or King James is perfect, but it means mature. God wants you and me to grow up. (laughs) and uh it's hard it's hard to grow up you see choosing to rejoice leads us to maturity murmuring stifles maturity i'm not going to grow as long as i whine and complain but if i choose to rejoice And I can rejoice in a lot of things. John the Baptist, Jesus called him to look at what he had done. I have healed the sick. I have raised the dead. I have fed the poor. Now, so what can you rejoice in? Even when this great need, you can look back and see what God has already done for you. What has he done? What victories has he brought you from? What mountains has he conquered for you previously? Like David, when he faced Goliath, he wasn't worried about Goliath because he recounted when the bear came against my father's sheep. When the lion came, he said, I attacked them and conquered them. He was recalling previous victories. And so think back. And God rebuked Israel because in the desert wilderness they whined and they complained about their need and and god said in psalm 106 they had forgotten god and it grieved god and he brought more problems and so you see our griping only invites more problems and uh, it doesn't solve anything so first of all how can you cast your mountain of doubt into the sea count that mountain or that that need as joy make a choice to rejoice exercise your will to rejoice of what god has done and rejoice in who god is rejoice in god's character these hymns we sang tonight man those they lift your spirits Praise songs worship songs use those just sing sing out to the lord you know every time i've tried that it, it inevitably works Even though Saul had been rejected by God and now David had been anointed, David was now the the harpist for Saul. And a distressing spirit was sent from God to Saul. But whenever David played the music, the spirit left him. You know, and there's rejoicing. So count it, make a choice to rejoice. Do whatever it takes to count it, consider it joy. Secondly, he says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You need to remember that God's at work, He's doing something in you. How, do, how can you cast this mountain of doubt into the sea? Realize that this need is God's hand in your life. Bobby talked about that this morning. What was it, Bobby? Don't reject the, the weaver's hand. You know, don't resist it. And uh, God is doing something. He says, know that this test is producing something. God's doing something in your life. He's working on this beautiful tapestry of your life. And He cannot do it without this particular test. So we need an understanding understanding mind knowing that god is doing something knowing as somebody said we have a the first one make a choice to rejoice here's the second one knowing that you're growing understand that i want to speak to this mountain of doubt and fear and worry and all that stuff. I, I want to count this joy. I'm, I know that God's doing something. I, he's working on me. He's growing me. Bobby talked about the tapestry this morning that God was at work weaving. And, and I thought about, not this morning, but for this message, I thought about a recipe. Um, sometimes, now you ladies, some of you are so experienced at cooking, you don't need a recipe. You know, when I cook... I need a recipe. I cooked for Mother's Day last Sunday. Actually, I cooked Saturday. want to make sure I got it right. I needed a recipe. I followed the recipe. Um, and many cooks, they don't need a recipe. But, you know, I've paid very close attention to every detail of that recipe. I wanted to make sure I got it right and it tasted right and all that stuff. But, you know, I got to thinking about a recipe. You know, some things I like, I don't like the ingredients. When I first married into the Full of Love Feather family, Tana's side of the family, uh, they had this infamous cornbread dressing for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I hated cornbread dressing. I didn't like my mama's cornbread dressing. I'll tell you why. Same reason I didn't like her mama's and grandma's cornbread dressing. There's one ingredient I absolutely loathe. I can't stand it raw. I can't stand it cooked. I can't stand it any old way. And it's called celery. I hate celery. You can put peanut butter on it. You can put chocolate on it. It's nasty. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I hate celery. But you know what? Over the years, I began to develop a taste for grandma's cornbread dressing and now it's the staple it's one of my favorites it's what I look forward to I still I, to this day love her cornbread dressing and but I cannot I still hate celery and and think about it like this some of the ingredients that God is using to make you and con, to conform you to the image of Christ you hate but you will love the end result It's because you're becoming like Christ. Christ is what's acceptable to God. And He's making me like His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's using a lot of things that I don't like in my life. And so get your eyes off the recipe and just look at the the cornbread dressing at the end and enjoy what God is doing, knowing that you're growing. Thirdly, how can you cast this mountain of doubt into the sea? He says, one three-letter word in verse 4, let. But let patience have its perfect work. That is, I need not only a joyful attitude, not only an a understanding mind, knowing that I'm growing, I need a submissive will. Here's the, here's the phrase, a trust that is a must. I need a, a submissive will. I need to cooperate with God. I need to let God do this. His way. I have a better way. God, I can learn what you're trying to teach me without this. Right? Isn't that what we bargain with God? We always think we have a better way. But I need a submissive spirit. I need to let god have his way but what i found in my life is much of the time i've been resisting his hand bobby spoke of that this morning i've been resisting the hand of the weaver i've even thought lord do you even care that i about this do you even and i know he does But sometimes knowing it and feeling it are two different things. You know that, don't you? You know, and I resist. I mean, can you imagine a mere human being resisting the work of God in your life and not letting God have His way? I talked about one of the manifestations of doubt is self-pity. And self-pity is really just an inner anger against God. When I read that the first time, somebody else said that, it really hit me. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I'm just as guilty as the children of Israel griping and complaining in the wilderness. You know, I'm full of self-pity and groaning and about the things I don't have, and I've forgotten about the things I do have and the things you have done for me, and I'm, I'm just expressing anger towards you. And that's, I would never say that to God. I would never say, God, I'm angry at you. But my, my, the way I felt really was. And you remember what Jesus told John the Baptist, or he told the disciples, he said, blessed is he who is not offended at me. And I'd get offended at God. I know y'all are more spiritual than that. You'd never say or think, well, God, if you loved me, or God, if you really cared about me, you wouldn't let this happen. Why are you letting this happen, God? And I would, I guess, feel offended at God. And I would seek escape from my trial and my problem. And you can seek escape in a lot of different ways. Entertainment is one of the one of them. Pleasure seeking. Trying to. What did did Jonah do? He hopped a boat going the opposite direction. That's kind of what we do when God is trying to work in our life and we don't like it we jumped on the boat of pleasure or entertainment and we want to go a different direction and forget and escape and god wants us to cooperate with him one one uh, person somebody said stop evaluating things by how they bless you but by how they conform you to the image of christ Think about that for a moment. Stop evaluating things by how they bless you or curse you but how they conform you to the image of Christ. So if it, if it blesses me, I want to receive it. If it doesn't, then I'm going to reject it. And sometimes God uses the bad, the suffering, the trials, the difficulties to conform me to the image of Christ. So, Let me give you four lets right here. He says, let patience have its perfect work. We want a submissive will. We don't want to resist God. We want to cooperate with God. We want a trust that is a must. So let me give you four lets. First of all, let the process conform you. Let the process conform you. Okay, so here's a lump of clay. Isn't that what we are? In the master's hands. The clay can't complain. It just surrenders to the work and the molding of the master i have to just be like a lump of clay okay lord i give up i'm just going to let you have your way bible says i am not my own you know you what do we call it when you get saved i gave my life to christ Isn't that what we call it did you then whose life is it it's his and if it's his life what can he do with it Anything he wants to. So that's what we are. I'm just. I'm going to let the process conform me. Let me give you another let. Let prayer confirm you. Look at verse five here. He said, in James one, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask in faith. Verse six. Let prayer confirm you. I know sometimes the mountain can loom so big, the need can be so great that you don't, and you've asked so often, and you don't see any response that sometimes you feel prayer is futile and you can't pray or you you can pray you just kind of lost the fervor so sometimes prayer just needs to be like peter as he's sinking in the waves lord help me lord help me like the man with the demon-possessed son, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help my unbelief. God, forgive me. So let prayer confirm you. Third let is let the promise comfort you. This is where you turn to the Word of God. You begin looking in His Word for promises. and, And you hang on to those promises. You don't let them go. Let the promise of God's Word comfort you. If, if He said it, then He meant it. And you can claim it for yourself. And then lastly, let the presence of Christ cheer you. Let the presence of Christ cheer you. Psalm 23:4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Let His presence cheer you. He is with you. He's with you. He was with those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their pagan names, I know. Azrael, Mish- I can't even remember their God-given names. But he was the fourth person in that fiery furnace. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was Daniel professed that God sent his angel to shut the lions of the mouths. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was with all of his faithful followers even though things did not work out for them as good even stephen as stephen was being stoned to death he was with stephen let his presence cheer you stephen op- looked and he proclaimed he said i see jesus let his presence cheer you so three things and then one more count it all joy a choice to rejoice have an understanding mind knowing that you're growing have a submissive will a trust that is a must let god let go and let god and then fourthly he says here in verse six but let him ask in faith with no doubting Here's what doubt does. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And I just made this profession <laughs> to my wife, and I made this profession to a friend, and and it really is convicting. It shouldn't be something I should I wasn't bragging, but it was just I was just saying is this is how I exist. I can have a good day today and I can say, you know, I'm feeling great and I have strong faith today and and the problems in my life don't seem so big and I feel on top of the world and then the ne- very next day I can feel bottomed out. Or I've, e- I've even said this. I, this particular hour or two I'm feeling great, and then two hours later I'm back I'm at the bottom. It's, sometimes it's not even days. It's hours. Sometimes it may even be minutes. You just don't ever know. But see, that's what doubt does. What I just was saying, what I was professing to my wife and a friend was, I'm full of doubt. I'm like a wave of the sea driven by the wind if the wind's blowing fair i'm i'm great if it if it's blowing foul then then i'm tossed and turned and twisted and messed up you see a a man that's or a woman that's full of doubt is verse eight double-minded and unstable in all of their ways see that's not what god wants for his followers So what we need is a believing heart. A believing heart. And that's the crux of the matter. If we're going to cast this mountain of doubt into the sea, we must have a joyful heart, must have an understanding mind, a submissive will, and a believing heart. We must have a loving that keeps looking. A loving God that keeps looking i would classify that as hope don't let yourself become hopeless no matter how long the answer is being delayed do you know what it says in hebrews this strikes me too chapter 11 is the hall of faith and it talks about all these great men and women of faith but it says these all died not having received the promise (laughs) well thanks god that's encouraging what if you don't get what you're asking for? Do you still love the Lord? Are you still looking for His blessed return? Is your hope still solid? Can your faith still be strong? You see, if your faith is in a desired outcome, then the answer is no. But if your faith is in God, no matter what happens here, it can't be shaken. We must trust God's character. Here's what somebody said. God had one son without sin. Listen. God had one son without sin, but he had no sons without suffering. Do you think God's going to spare you and me from suffering if he didn't spare his own son from suffering? How did Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus learned learned obedience by the things he suffered. And if Jesus, the son of God had to learn that way then how do you think I'm going to have to learn? So, John the Baptist was imprisoned. Jesus called him the greatest preacher on earth. John the Baptist had doubts Are you the one, or shall we look for another? He had this mountain of doubt. At a low point in his life, Jesus called him to look at the prophecies, the Word of God that had been fulfilled. Look at the works of God that Jesus had done. How did it work out for John? He lost his head. Jesus, John said, he must increase. I must decrease. John died. People call Stephen the first martyr, but really John was. John died for his faith. He died proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Yet he had a moment of doubt. Just like you and I have moments of doubt. But John was faithful. I want to encourage you. You're going to have moments of doubt. But that doesn't mean you're not a child of God that doesn't mean that god is not faithful and it doesn't mean that you're not full of faith either it means that you're a human being and that you like john the baptist struggle it comforted me to know that jesus called him the greatest preacher and i pale in comparison it comforted me to know that who jesus called the greatest preacher had doubts and me a preacher i have doubts too But that doesn't mean I don't know who God is. It doesn't mean that I don't know what God can do. It just means I'm human and I struggle. And God wants you and me to know that He is God. And we are not. And He is the master weaver, as Bobby told us this morning. He's the master chef putting the ingredients in the recipe. He's the master potter. He's the master shepherd. And we just need to follow him. So those are four ways you and I can speak to this mountain of doubt. Count it all joy. Choose to rejoice. Know that you're growing. Know that this this need is is God at work in your life, conforming you to His image. Surrender your will to His. Let Him have His way. And trust Him. Trust Him. Like Richard said a moment ago, when you can't see His hand, trust His heart. Even when God's not You don't think He's doing anything. You have to know that He is. So these are ways that we can speak to our greatest mountain. It's not that need. It's the doubt in your own heart that God's loving you, that He cares, that He's doing anything. Just speak to that mountain. Cast it to the sea and have faith in God. So we're going to close with that hymn. June, one more time.